This is the Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. Hello, Dawn here. I hope you are having a wonderful summer so far. There's lots to update you on, but first we have a very small favor to ask of you. If you like the metal set and the content we are creating, please, please, please take a moment to review us on your favorite podcast platform. A five-star rating and a few kind words really helps us reach new audiences and continue in our work. We also recently launched our YouTube channel. I'll link to that in the show notes, which has a number of video episodes live right now. Please do subscribe, watch, like, and leave a comment on your favorite episodes. We're aiming to share more types of content on the YouTube channel, so please stay tuned. So back to this episode, this is the start of a new series, which is dedicated to the beginner's mindset. If you've been following along, you'll know that throughout the podcast, we've had the opportunity to talk with so many amazing women and men about achieving some very big goals. We hope that you find our guests as relatable as we do. And keeping in this spirit, we wanted to dedicate a series on athletes speaking about their very first race, be it in ultra cycling, ultra running, triathlon, or mountaineering. We wanted to do this to highlight that we all start somewhere and there is beauty in the beginner's mindset. I guess to best sum it up, I will share a quote by the late Zen Buddhist monk Shunyu Suzuki. If your mind is empty, it is open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. I think anyone who has competed in a race or undertaken a major challenge has a special place in their heart and mind for that first race or first time achieving that big goal. I know I do. And while many people may view a big challenge, new sport, or mammoth goal as a bit of a scary endeavor, we hope that this series reinforces that although it may be scary, there are endless possibilities, adventures to be had, and friendships to be made when you decide to take on something new. So with that in mind, back to today's topic, self-supported ultracycling. In this episode, we hear from three accomplished ultracyclists who have competed in races ranging from smallish ultras, think about 300 to 400 kilometers, to races of over 4,000 kilometers. Today, you'll hear from Ella Barlow, Evelyn Weiss, and my own personal hype man, Chris Thomas, as each share their experience in their very first race. You'll hear about their sporting background, their chosen first race, how and why they did it, the preparation for the race, and what was going through their mind on the start line. You'll also hear about the hardest part of the race, the highlight of the race, what the experience taught them, and what advice they'd give to others thinking of taking on a self-supported ultra. You've heard me talk about how amazing the ultra cycling community is, and I've just said it again. While I met Chris pre-cycling days, I connected with Ella and Evelyn through ultra cycling. And like so many people I've met in this world, they are kind, open, super impressive, and generous in so many ways, including sharing their experience with us. So thank you again to Ella, Evelyn, and Chris. I'll include details in the show notes of all the races discussed. Viking Men Portugal, North Race Westphalia, both of which are about 1,000 kilometers, as well as the Tour de Mont Blanc, which was about 340 kilometers. Instagram accounts and the likes, as well as some other earlier ultra cycling episodes will also be in the show notes. Thank you again for listening, and we really hope you enjoy. My name is Evelyn. 
I'm Swiss, living in Switzerland. I'm 30 years old and I'm an engineer in the public transport sector. A bit about my sporting background. I did athletics until around the age of 15 years. I was afterwards focusing more on running. So I run like mostly 10K races, like up to half marathons for, yeah, for around six years, but always as a, an amateur, so never really in a really high competitive way. Um, and then I started cycling around seven years ago, just after starting university. I was actually just looking for a cheap way to spend my holidays. Um, and I ended up cycle touring for, for two weeks, yeah, on my own from Switzerland to the Mediterranean Sea. And since then, I've been going on cycle tours like around once a year with my partner. They are always like between one and six weeks, depending on the time we have. And yeah, what, what destination we're, we're going to or we're aiming for. I actually got my first secondhand road bike six years ago. And for the beginning, I was just riding, well, roughly bi-weekly, so not that much. And I then got into ultra distance races three years ago. And currently I'm still training for and riding events. My first ultra cycling race was the Northwest Westphalia in July 2021. That's a 1000k race with around 10,000 meters of elevation. And it takes place in Germany. My road to that race actually started one year before the race itself. I actually have been studying for exams at university, but uh, yeah, I was procrastinating. So I was watching my, my way through YouTube. And at some point I, I made it to the videos about ultra cycling and somehow I got hooked up. I was like, well, that's something really, really cool. You get to explore new places. You go and explore what, what can you do? What can your body do? And at that point I was actually still only riding on a bi-weekly basis and probably did yeah a maximum of five rides which were over 100k so this this magical mark of 100k but well nevertheless i i just signed up for an event in september so i rode there 360k as part of a relay with my boyfriend and that was definitely the moment where i really really got hooked and i decided to sign up for my my first solo ultra cycling race which for me um, marks the start of my my journey and yeah, that, that then was the North Race Westphalia in 2021. As preparation for the race, I, well, just started to cycle more regularly. So that was, yeah, at that point, that was not that difficult because I, I did not have that good of a basis in cycling. So I just cycled to university every day, which in total, it was just like around 10K a day. But still, I'm quite convinced that it, it had an, a huge impact or just at least a small impact on my body in terms of getting used to cycling every day, like having this, yes, train, well, with 10K, but still like having this train on your body every day. So I sort of got used to that. And then I just increased my mileage on my, my weekend rides and did another 360K ride around four months before the event in order to test my equipment, riding through the whole night and Yes, well, challenging myself on a solo ride because up until then, I yeah, I often just rode with, with my partner or did some shorter solo rides. So that was for me the, a huge part in the preparation to do that on my own and just see, yeah, how, how do I get along in an environment that I, that I feel comfortable? So I did that at home on a, on a small loop or on a loop 
of 360k where I, I knew, well, I have, I, I know people on the route. So if something goes sideways, I can just go there. And that gave me quite a lot of confidence to go and explore a new place in the race and later on. At the start line, I was actually so, so thrilled to be there. I was pretty nervous, obviously, but full with excitement. I was actually having some issues with my knees, uh, but I was still convinced to start because I was, yeah, I was really looking forward to it. I was like, yeah, the one thing I could think about for the past half a year. So I just told myself, give it a try. I, well, I just have to listen to my body, still enjoy the ride because I mean, that's, that's all, that's what it's all about. And yeah, just enjoy it with all the ups and downs that might come along the way. And well, just have a good time. Yeah, have a good time exploring a new place, seeing something new and well, not just exploring a new place, but as well exploring an, a new part of of myself or a part that was probably up until then hidden. The hardest part on the race were for sure the saddle sores I had to deal with from well the second day onwards already. I could I could barely sit and was yeah, I was not really enjoying myself. Um so I decided like in the late afternoon that I will get a hotel for the night. Um, I was leaving the first night, but then I thought, well, second night I'll get a hotel. I can, I can have a shower. And well, I thought that might solve the problem. Well, unfortunately it was not better the next day. And I was actually just sitting down on a park bench and I was truly thinking about scratching because, well, I, I could barely, I could barely paddle because whenever I put pressure on my, on my bum, it, it, it did not really, it did not really feel good. But I was sitting there and I just came up with the idea to use my second bib short as an extra padding for the saddle. So I strapped that, that second bib onto my saddle with um, cable ties and duct tape. And it actually worked. It worked miracles. And I continued riding pain-free and I made it to the finish line, actually really enjoying uh, the ride for the, yeah, for the remaining around 20 hours. The highlight of the race for me was definitely the confidence I rode with. So not the confidence in terms of, well, I'm going to push really hard, but the confidence of how I tackled it. Because up until that point, I would not have described myself as an adventurous person. I was, for example, like never beaving outside before. And I did that for two out of the three nights. I just, I just looked for a spot where I could like lie into my sleeping bag and have a few hours of sleep. And I did that with such a confidence, although I, I never really felt comfortable in the places I slept, but I just, I just did it with the confidence. And I think for me, that, that was really the highlight of seeing what, what I can overcome when I'm in the right mindset. The race taught me to trust in my body. It showed me how resilient I am and well, how well I can adapt to new or unforeseen situations and that I actually can get out of low points really well. Um, I just have to be patient. And as soon as I'm in such kind of a race or challenge mode, I can actually get through way more stuff than I believe or I normally believe I can. So for me, it's about that, that focus, that, that goal. It's just you, your bike and, and that one goal. And there's nothing else. Like there's no, there's no other thing like, like some, work stuff that can distract you or like some maybe social problems or whatever. It's just, it's just you, your bike and that goal. And for me, that makes a huge difference and I can overcome definitely way more than, than I ever thought. To people thinking about doing a self-supported ultra cycling race, I would just give one advice. Just do it. Dare to take on the challenge. 
because you will not regret it. In general, just be a bit naive, but well, be prepared, but naive, and just do something out of your comfort zone. You will not regret having taken on a self-supported ultra cycling race because the experience is just unique. For me personally, it's not just about the challenge itself, but even more about the community. It's, it's such a great bunch of people, everyone racing against each other, but in a supportive and collegiate way. So it's, it's like you're a huge family taking on a challenge like each, by, each one by him or herself. But in the end, you all did that really, really huge challenge. And yeah, you just enjoyed it. You have like stories to tell. And yeah, for me, it, it as well, it as well came up with, with lots of friend friendships. And I, I got to know a really great amount of people, which I definitely do not want to, to miss out on. Hi, so my name is Ella Barlow. Um, I am Australian and I live in Barcelona, in Spain, or just outside Barcelona. I've just recently moved, actually, about an hour outside of Barcelona. I freelance. I work for um, my client is, my exclusive client is an Australian client, and I work from home as a subtitler. So I do captions for deaf and hard of hearing um, audiences for all sorts of different types of media. And I also am an audio describer. So I create audio description files for blind people um, in order to, for them to, to watch um, television, basically. And I am 38 years old and I am the mother of two children. My firstborn is a five-year-old girl and my second born was just recently born um, eight months ago and her she yeah so she's eight months old and her name is Sophia and yeah my eldest is Clara and I live with my husband Daniel in a beautiful house that we have just purchased which we are also renovating as I said about an hour outside of Barcelona in the Pyrenees in the the Pyrenees foothills. In terms of sporting background, I would probably describe myself as someone who wasn't terribly interested in sport when I was a, a child. Um, I did really like doing things that were single sports, so things like running or swimming. I used to swim a lot. I used to get up early in the morning and go swimming with my stepdad um, before school a lot of the time. But I was always really more attracted to things that were single type sports. I wasn't really uh, into team team sports or anything. And I think that probably comes down to um, an experience that I had with my PE teacher when I was living in Vanuatu, which is where I was born and grew up. And he basically was not a very good teacher when it came to trying to encourage particularly girls to get into sport, which is a real shame because I was an academic kid and I really enjoyed pushing myself academically at school. But I think he felt threatened by the fact that I was good academically and felt that he needed to put me down in, in the sporting arena, which is a real shame because I think that really affected how I perceived myself physically and my capabilities around being able to push myself in a physical manner. Um, luckily, I was able to overcome that in adulthood because I then decided that I really enjoyed riding my bike first as a hobby, um, using my bike to commuting as well as a hobby, um, using my bike to commute to and from work. And then also um, starting to do some travel. When I first met my husband about 14, 15 years ago, we we did a few um, bikepacking trips or, or cycle touring, as they were called back then. Um, and that really kind of opened my mind to what the bicycle could do and how far you could get with, with a bike, which was, which was exhilarating. And I think then that was the sort of natural progression for me was then to push myself to, to do some ultra racing. 
In terms of interests, I would say that I like the fact that the bicycle is not only a physical endeavor, but it also is, it gives you that side of adventure, which is so important for me. I think travel and, and you know, seeing the world, but also feeling that you're able to do it under your own steam is, is really amazing. My current training is virtually non-existent. As I mentioned earlier, I have just had a baby, so I'm seven and a half months postpartum. While I was pregnant, I tried really hard to continue to do exercise, mainly outdoor stuff as much as I could, but then it got very, very hot. As I said, I live in Spain, so it got very, very hot during the summer and I was not really able to continue because it was just far too dangerous. And then I was able to continue to do some training um, on the indoor trainer when I was at home. So that was great for my mental health just to continue doing some some of that. And I did some yoga as well while I was pregnant as much as I could. It's a bit difficult when you feel like you have a giant basketball attached to your front while you're doing stretching and yoga poses, but that was really good too. And now currently with my training, because we also moved to our house only very recently, sort of in the last seven or eight months, all at the same time as having a baby, I kind of put training on the back burner and also I was recovering from um, from pregnancy and birth. Um, but now finally I've started to be able to do some more training. So I've probably started about eight or nine weeks ago. I've been doing two indoor sessions on the trainer every week and then trying to now get up and doing some strength training a couple of times a week if I can and then also maybe some yoga. And every now and again when the children allow me to get out for a couple of hours, I can do a gravel ride around my house. Um, I'm hoping to be able to do one tomorrow. But again, it's a bit difficult when you have two kids to look after and you're also breastfeeding still. So slowly but surely, I'm hoping to get back into some kind of training um, protocol at some point. But I'm very lucky because my husband is a, an exercise scientist. So he actually tells me what I should be doing, which is good. It means I don't need to think about exactly what I need to do. I just do what he tells me on the plan, which is, which is good when I'm ready, I guess. So hopefully that will, that will come. Watch this space. My first ultra cycling race was um, supposed to be the transatlantic way in Ireland. So what happened was basically around 2017, I moved back to Spain with my husband um, from Australia and I was following the inaugural um, Indian Pacific wheel race. And that was unfortunately when Michael died during that race. But I was captivated by the the potential of being able to cross my own country, which just seemed amazing to me. And I think Mike's death also kind of made me very angry because it just seemed that it was so unfair that people should not be able to use roads that connected entire continents um, with their bicycle. Um, so I think that kind of spurred in me this innate kind of wanting to continue riding bicycles wherever humans could because it just seems so unfair that people should die riding their bikes and doing what they love on roads. But my first race kind of happened around about the time that the pandemic hit because it took a few years for me to kind of decide that I was able to, you know, fathom the possibility of even entering a race. It seemed like something that other people did, not that, that not that little old me would be able to do. But eventually I kind of psyched myself into the idea of doing one. And so I decided on doing the transatlantic way race, um, or now it's called a ride in Ireland because it was half the distance of the Indian Pacific wheel race at 2,500 kilometers, which is still very long. Um, but it was going to be rainy and very hilly. So I figured if I could do that, then I would probably be able to cross my own continent one day. But in the end with the pandemic, um, unfortunately, I had signed up to do the 2020 transatlantic way ride, but the pandemic hit right uh, around about the time that that was happening. And, and they the Irish government wasn't letting anyone in who wasn't an, an Irish citizen. So I wasn't able to do that. And so I'd basically been planning for a whole year to do this this ride with my training and everything. And then I sort of 
as many people um, were in that situation, basically felt I was at a bit of a loose end. And then I found the Biking Man series races. And despite not loving the fact that it was called Biking Man, because I felt that it was kind of exclusionary to, to women, I investigated a little further when I realized I was sort of out of options. So they actually went ahead to do the Biking Man Portugal race in 2020. It was set in September. Um, and it was a thousand kilometers, give or take, um, with about 12,000 meters of elevation. So I signed up for that basically two or three weeks before it happened and, and drove down there. And, and that was my first race. As I mentioned earlier, the preparation for the race was a little bit unusual because of the fact that the pandemic hit sort of while I was, or just before I was preparing to, to get to the start line of the race that I had originally planned for the transatlantic way. But the prep itself went quite well because my husband is a, is basically um, a professional when it comes to doing training plans and stuff. He was my coach and we both were very receptive. To, he was great at, at giving me a plan and I was great at following it. I think I'm, I work really well to an objective. So that was, that worked really well. And despite him not necessarily having worked with cyclists before, it was a good learning curve for both of us. And, and I felt I learned so much just about cycling in general and, and cycling training, but also training in general outside of the cycling world. And, and he taught me a lot about, you know, zones and training and, and power output and all sorts of things. And I found that really interesting too. I think my geeky science brain quite liked that. So I really enjoyed prepping for it. And I did a lot of strength training. He's he's very much a an advocate of strength training in order to make sure that you're looking after yourself and making sure that you're preventing any injury. So I felt that was really good. And I also then did lots of rides around my um, hometown at the time was was Barcelona. So yeah, that was, my prep was great. Um, I think it was just adjusting the fact that I needed to then do um, a different race, but it was an easier race in the end. So I think it was probably a good race to, to start off with. I remember being on the start line very well. I was so, so nervous. I actually drove down to Portugal with my mom, which was amazing. She was really able to help me out with that. But I remember the start line, like it was, you know, yesterday, it was really incredibly difficult, I think, a lot of the cycling community, the ultra cycling community suggests that that time is a really difficult time just to get to the start line. And I completely agree with that because it really was, it was, yeah, all the emotions. And I felt like I potentially didn't belong. Um, there weren't that many women. I think there were only about three or four women in that race. Only three of us were doing a race by ourselves. And I think there were two or three other pairs of women. And so in a field of about 66, I think it was. So already you feel so underrepresented, but at the same time, I also feel very privileged because I'm able to even do or contemplate doing a race like this. So I felt that I wasn't able to be there, that I shouldn't belong. But at the same time, I felt that I should be there because I felt that it was important. I remember telling myself that all I needed to do was just start and the rest would take care of itself. And basically it was my first race. And so I wasn't really aiming to do anything spectacular. I just wanted to end and finish. And basically I had sort of two or three race strategies in inverted commas. My concept of finishing was obviously the, the main one that was sort of the main objective. But then I had in my mind, you know, the idea of if I could, if I could finish my race in a shorter amount of time than what I had originally planned, then I'd be happy with that. At the same time, I also felt that if I couldn't handle, you know, the certain distances that I had in my mind kind of mapped out, then that was okay too. I just wanted to get to the end before the cutoff, which I believe we started on a Monday morning. And I think the cutoff was um, the Friday night. So there was a big big margin basically to get the a thousand kilometers done. Basically you had, you know, five days to do it. So, so it felt doable really. But at the same time, I was obviously petrified of what was to come and it didn't help that I actually had a man who said at the start of the race, you know, wow, you've, you've chosen something difficult to start with and sort of looked at me with, 
with, you know, not disdain, but he definitely didn't feel that I was going to be up to it. And, and, um, and yeah, he, he didn't inspire much confidence. But I think also, I think if you're a woman who has already decided to show up to a race like this, then it really helps. It helps to make you feel more like you want to finish just to show the naysayers that, you know, you have just as much right to be there as they do. And in fact, he actually wrote me a message at the end when I did finish to say, you know, he was, he was pleasantly surprised. Not that I necessarily needed that, but, but at least it was, it was a nice way to at least recognise that what he had said at the beginning wasn't necessarily the best advice to give somebody on their first race. I most enjoyed probably about the race being able to switch off from daily life. I think that's something that a lot of people, or particularly mothers, maybe feel that they can leave their lives behind and go and sort of do something very egotistically just for them. And I felt that it was a liberation. And so I think that was amazing, being able to put aside some time to just go and do what I love and not have to worry about anything else. So in some ways it was actually easier than daily life because all of the pressures of making sure that life is running properly for your family unit were no longer there and I just had to ride my bicycle and feed myself and find somewhere to sleep. So that was incredibly liberating. And in terms of low lights, I'm not sure that I had any low lights really. I think the first day was difficult because it's a bit of a shock to the system. You're not sure really if you're going to be able to do it. I was also, I also had my husband in my head saying, take it slow, take it slow, you know, don't, don't go too crazy. But I think in hindsight, I probably could have really pushed myself a bit further, but I'm very happy that I was conservative about the race. But but it was, yeah, the low lights, I'm not sure if I really had any. I think on the third night, I ended up finishing um, on the Thursday. So I think it took me about 83 hours to do the 1,000 kilometres. And on the third night before I got back to Faro in, in Portugal, I it was very rainy and it was cold. And so that was a bit difficult. But other than that, it was it was really an excellent experience. I also had a few encounters with dogs. Luckily, they were during downhill sections so that I could get away. And it was also at nighttime, so you couldn't see them. So that was a bit scary. But other than that, really, I felt that the race went really very, very well. And, and I enjoyed all of it, basically. My first ultra race taught me a lot of things about myself. I don't think it was necessarily an epiphany. I don't think it it gave me, you know, some underlying understanding of my personality that was, you know, truly life altering, but it definitely did give me the ability to understand that we are all so much stronger than we believe we are. And I think women need to understand that about themselves. It's so, so easy for us to get trapped into this mold of we're not capable. We're not as capable as the men. So many men, you know, go on to do these races and, and there's just so very few women who do these things. And it's just so, so sad that we psych ourselves out of doing these things as well as other pressures, obviously, and issues that, that surround the fact that, you know, female representation isn't as high as it is for men. But for me personally, it's definitely that idea of getting to the start line and, and you know, really, really understanding your self-worth and realizing that you have just as much right to be there as everybody else. And I think that it was just, in a way, it gave me the ability to understand that that was, that was true. And I was able to put my mind to something, set my mind to something, plan for the objective, and I managed to finish it, which I was really happy with. And yeah, I, I did what I set out to do and, and it made me feel an overwhelming sense of pride, which is, which is great. I think that's really important for your psyche and for who you are as a human being, particularly when there's so much going on and life is so busy. It's really nice to stop and smell the proverbial roses, I guess.
And what did it teach me about others? Well, I was actually fortunate enough to help a fellow writer out. His GPS stopped working on the, I think I found him on the second morning and I'd actually just started to get my second wind. I was feeling a bit sorry for myself and thinking, you know, potentially I wasn't going to be able to finish because it just seemed so daunting and so long. But then when I found him on the side of the road and he was looking very cold because he'd slept outside and didn't really know where he was, we were able to ride together for long stretches. And in fact, that was really affirming because it meant that, you know, I was able to help somebody out and, and I met someone and he, he's become a, a really close friend. Um, he's gone on to do other races as well. Um, but yeah, it taught me that, you know, the, the power of camaraderie without obviously getting too much support because, you know, the, the whole idea of ultra cycling isn't necessarily to get support from other races, but yeah, just being able to help him out was great. And I think I also did have a bit of a, it was difficult for me in that sense, because I know that some races don't allow support between, between riders, but actually the organizer of, of biking man had actually said that, you know, if you, you do help your fellow racers out. So that's why I did that just as a disclaimer to, to explain my, my help. But, but yeah, he was helpful in the sense that the, the other rider who I helped, he was helpful too, because he actually taught me that I could push myself even further. So we actually did one night where we rode through the night. And that was also something that I probably wouldn't have done if I had been riding by myself. So that was good too, because I pushed myself in a way that I didn't necessarily, uh, that I hadn't planned for. So, so yeah, it, overall the experience was life affirming and, and validating. And um, yeah, I would, I would really highly recommend it to anybody who's got the inkling or the, or the, or wants to feel that, that feeling. I would tell anyone wanting to get into ultra racing that they should plan and they should give it a go. I'm probably, I would say, quite a type A personality person. So I like to cross my T's and dot my I's and make sure that everything is is as planned for as possible. Obviously, you can't plan for everything, but the things that you do have control over, I think is important to control. But other than that, I would try and find someone who can coach me if I had no idea about what to do. I would read a lot. I would listen to lots of podcasts like this wonderful podcast. Um, and I would ride as much as I could. I would make sure that I was in the right frame of mind. Um, I'd make sure that I had a good support network around me because I think that's really important too. You can't do it by yourself. Um, and then I would just get out there and really what's the worst that can happen? I mean, obviously terrible things can go wrong and fortunately that doesn't happen very often, but obviously it's important to have a realistic mind, uh, state of mind. But if the worst that happens to you is that you don't finish, then really the only thing that you're bruising is your ego potentially. But really, I mean, there are lots of people who do these things and don't finish. And, and really it's, it's, a, it's a learning curve and also something that teaches you for the next one if you decide you want to, or it shows you that it maybe wasn't the right right experience for you. But if you don't try, you never know. So I think it's, if you want to do it, then put the steps in place to do it. And there's no reason that you can't if you if you don't plan accordingly. I think it's, yeah, I just, just go for it, do it. There are a few other things that I would like to add. One is that the thing about ultra cycling is that it's not just the race itself. It's the community around the race that is just so wonderful. And even though I've only done a few, I've done a few races and, um, and a couple of rallies and, and things, what is so wonderful is the connections that you make with people either during the race or sort of surrounding the race and then in the aftermath. And 
the people who are attracted to these kind of things, I can't remember exactly who said it, but um, it was sort of this idea of a social loner, which I think is is quite apt because it's that idea of you really enjoy spending time by yourself, but you also enjoy the company of others who are as crazy as you to can contemplate doing something like this. And I've met some amazing people from around the world doing, you know, f- from the s- small foray that I've had into this world. And it really is something that I would not swap for the world because it is it's wonderful so many people out there who just really enjoy riding their bikes and people who have crazy ideas about what it is to push the envelope a little get outside of daily life and and get into doing something a bit a bit crazy a bit extraordinary and it's it's so rewarding it really is so so rewarding because you just get time to yeah to de-stress but also time to to kind of reflect on life and, and and enjoy being outside of normality yeah, for me, it would be basically the community around the community and the spirit around around these races. Um, and also having met so many wonderful women too, wonderful, strong, strong women. And I think that is also really great because sometimes we can feel very, very minute when it's just us um, against the world in, in cycling, which is obviously a very male and, and predominantly white sport. So it is wonderful when you when you see people from the minority groups. I'm, I'm white, obviously, so it's not necessarily that I'm from a minority group, but I'm a woman. But it always makes me so, so happy when I see people who are outside the mould of normality doing these things. And it just, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Wonderful to see that there are other people pushing the envelope. And, and I guess, yeah, the thing that I would add is any race organisers who are, who are planning to do races, um, who are planning to put on races, if there's any ability that they have to ensure that people who are not in the mould of normality can come out of the woodwork and, and, and do these races, I think it's just we need to give people every single possibility of being able to do this if this is what they want to do. So, so yeah, any of the race organisers who are already doing that, thank you for doing that. And, and any who are planning on future events, I think, keep keep doing that, keep pushing pushing the envelope, keep ensuring that people from different communities and different areas of, of life and society are able to do these things because it really is so wonderful to see different coloured faces and different ages and different sexes and yeah just people from all walks of life it's it's really wonderful to see those people lining up at the start of these races thank you okay so my name's chris thomas i'm 34 years old i'm uh, english but i'm uh, living in the french alps have been for the last eight years living a bit of a dream out here uh super active lifestyle hiking climbing paragliding and of course a lot of cycling in, uh, in terms of my sporting background, I used to be a super keen swimmer as a like a young lad. And then I kind of moved out of swimming and just got into team sports, be it football, rugby, cricket. I basically played, played everything. I, I continued on playing football for quite a few years until I went to university where I took up uh, rock climbing. And I also started doing a lot more cycling. So I was cycling to and from university, going to the gym and generally just doing quite a bit of physical training. I was doing a sports based degree. Um, so that was uh, something that I was quite keen on doing is keeping fit. Um, I then left university and continued with cycling and I wanted to do a lot of bike packing. So I wanted to travel all over Europe, went and traveled through 14 countries, 10 capital cities, going from London to Istanbul with two friends of mine. And that kind of got me a bit of a bike packing bug. Another year later, I cycled from the Nordcap in Norway down to Ghana um, with as well the same friends and also a few extra people as well. That's probably the biggest uh, kind of 
accomplishment in any uh, cycling that I've ever done because it took about 80 days camping along the way, cycling through the Sahara, like the Western Sahara Desert, um, trying to get through during Ramadan when nothing's open. So that was pretty, pretty cool. And that's my sort of sporting background. And then I've just taken cycling on and on and on, really. I suppose the, um, the first official ultra cycling race that I did was called the Tour de Mont Blanc. I mean, it's a pretty small one in terms of ultra distance, but it was about 340 kilometers and the same elevation profile as Everest, about 8,800 meters. I basically signed up to do it because it was billed as the hardest one day bike race in the world, um, on the road anyway. And I thought, well, that'll be a pretty good challenge. Um, I wonder if I can, I wonder if I can do it. I've always been interested in seeing like where the limit is or like physical or mental limit. And uh, it seemed like a really good challenge. And it was on the doorstep of where I was living at the time. So it literally started from a couple of minutes around the corner and did a big circuit through France, Italy and Switzerland. Thought, wow, what better? The, the prep for that race was basically 10 solid weeks of dedicated training, riding four or five days a week, riding after work, sometimes riding before work, a lot of yoga, trying to eat really well, no drinking, and basically just locking down in a, with a dedicated mindset to try and get weight down and power up, which is what all cyclists know is the key power to weight ratio. And yeah, basically locking yourself away in the little training bubble for 10 weeks to try, to try and get fit from a position where I was already relatively fit anyway, but fit for that race would have been tough. I uh, do I do remember being at the start line as well. Specifically, I remember thinking there's a lot of very skinny people here who look really strong and very determined. And the race started at five o'clock in the morning and it was pitch black, really cold. And I just remember flashing lights everywhere. There were probably about a thousand people that started that race or something close to that must have been. And uh, the start of the race was actually a, a descent down. So everybody was hurting down the mountain and around all these big bends and big corners. And you could just see this long tail of red flashing lights. It was actually quite distracting, but also quite beautiful. I, re I just remember telling myself, you know, remember that you've trained, you've pretty much done this in training, you can do it. And the one thing that I always tell myself is keep the bike on two wheels because it's very easy to get excited, carried away and then crash and then it's over. So keep the bike on two wheels, concentrate, ride, you know, at your level. And I know that I'm determined, so I know I'll, I'll get to the finish line. That's kind of the stuff I tell myself. Hardest part of that race for me was getting to the top of a place called the Grand Saint Bernard. That was actually a highlight getting to the top because that was halfway and I was really pleased to get there. And I've got to the top feeling pretty good. And then as I descended, I started the descent over the top, I got a puncture. I was like, okay, not a big deal fixed it, got back on, punctured again immediately. I was like, oh, this is strange. Got off, fixed it again, carried on, got another one immediately. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And I realized I had a hole in the side of my tire. So I then took all of my sweet wrappers out of my pockets, my money out of my pocket to try and plug the hole from the inside, put the tube back in. And then I descended the Grand Saint Bernard down to Alster with the tube poking out of the side of the tire. I wouldn't actually recommend that to anybody. That was pretty stupid and quite dangerous, but I didn't go particularly fast. I then had to sit outside a bike shop in Alster waiting for it to open so I could buy a new tire, um, which didn't happen. Um, however, there was a chap who pulled in front of the shop and I could see he had a bike similar to mine in the back of his car. So I grabbed him and with my terrible Italian and his non-existent English, I managed to get his tire from his bike, get it onto mine, 
get an inner tube and a spare inner tube, all in a sort of funny charades-based negotiation and carry on with the race. So that was a, a low light and a highlight. The, the races, not just this race, but other races as well, have really taught me that if you put your mind to something and you really believe and really focus and you have a level of determination and desire for something, you can achieve anything. Like that desire to get there will push you on. That determination will push you on. And yeah, like you really can achieve things that you would not have thought possible. It's But, but you can do it. You definitely have to train hard and you have to be pretty fit because although I do believe that 80% of these races is in your head, whether you're going to finish and whether you want to continue and stuff like that, there's definitely a large percentage about being fitter that will make it slightly easier for sure. The next thing is that try and enjoy it as much as possible. Try and enjoy the journey. Try and enjoy the training. Try and enjoy the process. It can be quite difficult to to enjoy it because you have to put in a large amount of miles and and you have to really ride long distances. Um, but you you definitely want to try and enjoy it. the The other thing is uh, you need to get your body used to spending hours and hours and hours in the saddle and on the bike. And the only way to do that is to get out and train. You have to spend sometimes six seven eight hours just riding your bike but riding easy get your endurance up and get your body in tune with sitting on a bike for that amount of time that will definitely help you come come the races that's what i would uh, i would say try and enjoy it make sure that you train and make sure that you you really really want it if you really want it you will get to the finish line if, as long as there's not a big mechanical problem or you have a have a big crash or hurt yourself if you want to get to the finish line, you have to really, really want it. It has to be like, like a little bit like burning inside you to get there. If, you, if you're not really sure about it, if you don't really want it, I would say don't do it yet. I will add just one more thing about ultra cycling and the whole kind of community. It is one of the nicest, most supportive you know, friendliest and funnest communities of people and often like-minded people that I've ever met, ever been involved with. Most of the time I go off to do some of these ultra cycling races based on the people that I know are going to be there and also the people I know I'm going to meet. Even if I haven't met them before, I know that I'll make new friends. We will get on well. And even though it's competitive and you're competing against each other, for the most part in ultra races, you're competing really just against yourself and your own head. And there is such a special bond between everybody that does, you know, applies for these races and then gets to the finish line. It's almost like you kind of meet the guys at the end who have been in all the same places as you. You've had all the same emotions, feelings, the pain and the sacrifice from before, bad weather, sunburn, lack of food, water. And to all get there really brings people together and you get a really sort of cool, strong bond between people. And you also learn so much about yourself. You learn about your limits, what motivates you, what doesn't, how deep you can push and how long you can go for, or really where your, your limit is. And you go, okay, I've had enough now. Dealing with emotions, setbacks, great positives, highs and lows, teaches you so much. And I think that's really, really uh, important to, to learn that about yourself. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's it from me. Hope that was all right. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. 
Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.